What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John. And this week, we are back with episode 67, where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC on ESPN Plus 13 card headlined by Jermaine Duranime versus Aspen Ladd going down in Sacramento, California this Saturday night. This is a 12-fight card that will be aired entirely on ESPN+, Plus, with the six prelim fights starting at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and the main card kicking off at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Looking at the betting lines for these matchups, and I'm going to tell you that they are filled with value. Personally, I already have about seven or eight bets on fighters' money lines for this card, so I will be sharing with you which uh, fights I have bet on as the podcast goes on, and I will give you the reasoning why I'm betting on these people, of course. So with that being said, we are going to start things off with the first fight of the evening, which takes place in the Bantamweight division. We have Benito Lopez, who is 9-1, taking on Vince Morales, who is 9-3. The opening betting line for this one was... Benito Lopez, the minus 265 favorite to Vince Morales, plus 185. Right now, the line has flipped, and we are now seeing Morales, minus 140, Lopez, plus 120. Pretty shocked at the amount of money that has come in on Vince Morales, pushing him from a plus 185 underdog on July 7th. And just a few days later, he is sitting at minus 145. So the amount of people and the amount of money that has come in on Morales in these past few days is something to look at because it seems like the public is on Morales. And I think that the public was on the right side of things with that opening line. But where the line is at right now, I do not think there's much value left on Vince Morales. I think this is a very close matchup, and that's why we saw the line flip. So getting down to this matchup, we have Benito Lopez, who is a team alpha male fighter. He's a very fast starter who likes to come at you with some orthodox unorthodox techniques like head kicks and flying knees he really likes blitzing you making you uncomfortable and trying to touch that chin right away and he's had some success with it in the UFC his fight versus Albert Morales was a great fight where they were uh, dropping each other multiple times in round one of that fight Morales dropped Lopez with a jab and Lopez was able to drop Morales with flying knees a few times he eventually won that fight by decision as well and Lopez lost his undefeated record in his last fight against Manny Bermudez. Bermudez came in overweight for that fight, but was still able to take down Benito Lopez. Lopez scrambled back to his feet for a short amount of time, but was eventually dragged back down to the campus and uh, tapped out with a guillotine choke. So Lopez got that first loss out of the way, and now he's looking to rebound here versus Vince Morales. Morales is coming off of a win over Alamin Zahabi. It was a great performance where his boxing looked really sharp. His cardio looked good. He was able to avoid the takedown and ground threat of Zahabi and outstrike Zahabi and really pick it up in the third round of that fight. And Morales also went to the decision with Song Yudong, who we saw in action last week, who has massive power. And Morales had a competitive fight with him. He was outstruck for the first two rounds but Morales found his range and picked up the output in round three like he did versus Zahabi and was able to win round three versus Yadong so Morales is very good I'm impressed with his boxing he has some decent kicks um, but his boxing is really his, bre- his bread and butter he's got some power in that right hand he's got a really good uh, rear uppercut as well 
the only problem with Morales is that he needs to be moving forward to be effective. When he's getting pushed back like he was versus Song Yidong, he was not nearly uh, as effective as a striker as he is as moving forward. So look for Morales to be uh, moving forward in this fight. And Lopez is too, and that's where these guys are going to collide. I think Morales should be the better boxer in this fight, but Lopez is going to be the better kicker, have the better knees, and just be the more explosive, powerful striker. But with Lopez's chin's prob chin problems, you know, getting dropped by that jab versus Albert Morales, uh, I think that Vince Morales has a chance of touching that chin as well, just like Albert did. So this is going to be a hell of a fight. I really expect these guys to collide and start throwing down from uh, bell to bell for as long as it lasts. I could see one of these guys knocking each other out, but I, I ultimately think that this one will go to the decision where Lopez might win the first round of the fight, but Morales is going to get that range. He's going to figure out Lopez. He's going to have that cardio edge as the fight goes later. And I'm going to pick Vince Morales to win a decision 29-28 in this one. The next fight takes place in the women's strawweight division. We have Livia Renata Souza, who is 13-1, taking on Brianna Van Buren, who is 8-2. The opening betting line for this one was Souza, the favorite at minus 170, Van Buren, the plus 130 underdog. Right now, we are seeing the line flip Van Buren minus 130, Souza plus 110. So another line flip in this fight. And I agree where the action has come in. I am favoring Brianna Van Buren in this fight. And I hadn't even heard of Van Buren until a few days ago when I started taping this car. But she has been making some waves in Invicta. Van Buren was actually the winner of the strawweight tournament, the one-night tournament that Invicta had just a few months ago where she... Uh, took out two opponents in one round fights uh, and that was uh, UFC vet Juliana Lima, Lima and uh, Manjit Kolkar which who she submitted and then in the main event she took on Kaylin Curran in a three minute fight and she was able to get a rear naked choke in round two of that fight so I have been very impressed with what I've seen from Van Buren so far she has some decent striking on the feet she has some good kicks that she throws out her opponents to close the distance and really set up her takedowns which are her bread and butter she's got a great blast double leg takedown once she gets you on the ground she can keep you down she's very heavy in side control and she is mean with ground and pound she'll smash you with ground and pound force you to give up your back uh, snatch that rear naked choke or that arm bar which uh, are both submissions that she has hit in Invicta against her opponents as well her last loss was actually four years ago, and that fight, uh, you can really see the difference in styles that uh, her game has adapted. That was This fight was against uh, Amy Montenegro, and in that fight, she tried to take down uh, Montenegro against the cage. She would push her back to the cage and then uh, end up in those uh, scrambles against the cage or those grinding uh, clinch fest against the cage and she was not able to get the takedowns like she she's used to and that's when she adapted her game and got that, that started shooting more blast double legs in the center of the cage and getting her opponents on her back easier and ever since then she's had a massive amount of success you know her ground game looks really vicious she she knows how to dagestani handcuff people she, you know, hand trap um, you know all all types of, of advanced grands ground skills from Brianna Van Buren but getting over to her opponent uh, Livia Renata Souza is also a very skilled ground fighter she's a, a black belt but she's a small strawweight for the weight class and you saw that in the last fight against Sarah Frota and she was 
outsized a lot in that fight not only by her opponent's height but her opponent missed weight for about by seven pounds for that matchup so she was almost in an entire different weight class and Livia Renata Souza was still able to win that fight via decision. So very impressed with what Souza has been able to accomplish so far in the UFC. She uh, tapped out Alex Chambers in her UFC debut. The way she was able to take down that bigger opponent in Sarah Frota, who is also a very skilled ground fighter, it was just so impressive. She just used technique to outclass size, and that's what she's going to have to do in this matchup as well. She will be the smaller fighter in that cage. Um, Van Buren should be stronger, should be much more physical when she gets on, on top position on the ground. So Soza's uh, sweeps and her, her get-ups are going to have to be on point. She's going to have to be threatened with submissions to get back to her feet. And this is stuff that she has all done before, but she has been taken down in the past. I, I believe Froda got her down when they fought as well, but she was able to get back to her feet very well in that fight. But I expect Van Buren's pressure to be much better than Frota. I expect Van Buren to be uh, throwing kicks uh, right away, to be pressuring Sosa. Sosa does have some good striking. She has uh, had some success with striking uh, in against uh different opponents specifically in Invicta she actually knocked out uh, Hamasaki the champion with her boxing and just pressured her right off the bat and Souza has fought the full five rounds multiple times before uh, most notably against Angela Hill so she is the much more experienced fighter she's got the better record but I still think Brandon Van Buren is going to win this fight I think Van Buren pressures her right off the bat, get that double leg takedown, and really just dominates on the ground. I think that the size and the the strength and the pressure of Van Buren is just going to be too much. So is not going to be able to cre create space, threaten with submissions, and uh, Van Buren has stayed safe from submissions from Lima and you know dangerous ground fighters like Kaylin Curran as well. So I I imagine that uh, Van Buren will avoid the submission. And she will be able to uh, outstrike Souza on the feet and be able to get the takedowns and get top position versus Souza. So I see Van Buren uh, winning a decision in this one, 30-27. And I actually uh, give it a good possibility that Van Buren gets a finish as well with either a ground and pound from a mount or back position or possibly gets a submission on the black belt Souza as well. So the pick is going to be Brianna Van Buren to get her uh, UFC debut win in this one. The next fight takes place in the Bantamweight division. We have Pyongyang Liu, who is 15-4, taking on Jonathan Martinez, who is 10-2. The opening betting line for this one was Pyongyang minus 285, Martinez plus 205. Right now, we are seeing Liu minus 145, Martinez plus 125. So line margins have tightened up, and I agree with it, where that opening line was set was way too high in Pyongyang's favor. This is a much closer fight than that. I honestly think this is a 50-50 fight. I think both of these guys have uh, decent striking, decent grappling, and they're both... Uh, liable to get in scramble type of fights where they're uh, mixing in the takedowns and striking non-stop there's a lot of wrestling a lot of clinching submission attempts in them and you know they're both very well-rounded fighters who are, are deserving to be in the ufc of course really looking forward to this fight so uh let's get down to uh to how these two match up whoa so uh Lou is a, uh, a very strong striker he uh, has good distance management and footwork on the feet but 
his his technique is is a little bit lacking in the the boxing i think i think his uh actually all of his strikes really i feel like he just doesn't really commit to his strikes a lot he he th- throws them out there and flashes the the strikes but uh, it doesn't seem like he really wants to to knock anybody out it seems like he wants to set up the takedown and you know really just win on the scorecards so uh, and Lewis also had some trouble with the, with the rules of MMA. I mean, I, in his two UFC fights so far, he's thrown an illegal up kick. He's been warned for hitting opponents to the back of the head, and he's also been warned for throwing twelve to six elbows. So, look for Lou to uh, possibly commit another foul in in this fight, and maybe get a point taken. If you know he didn't get any points taken in the first couple of a couple of fights, but that's something to worry about. You know, if you're betting on a fighter. And he has repeatedly, uh, repeatedly committed fouls in in his two UFC fights so far. You know you got to be worried about getting a point deducted at some point. So uh, Lou also has some problems in the in the fight IQ aspect of things. He uh, jumped guillotine on Martin Day when they fought. And he was, you know, outstruck for the majority of that fight. He did have some success in dropping Martin Day in round three, but uh, round one, I thought he was uh, outvolumed and uh, slightly lost that round. Round two, he was shooting takedowns from halfway across the cage and getting this, his shots stuffed, and was just got dominated on the feet versus Martin Day, and then was able to come back and win round three with that uh, with drop with that knockdown. So. Uh, that was a close fight, and honestly, I think that Day or uh, Lou got a little bit of a gift handed to him in that uh, that decision. I thought Martin Day won that fight, but uh, Lou looked good against uh, Damian Stachiak. He was uh, able to get off of his back in that fight. He was able to able to outstrike Stachiak. His cardio looked good in that fight. So, uh, moving on to Martinez, uh, he's mostly a submission guy. Most of his uh, wins are by submission off of his back, but he also is a, a pretty decent southpaw striker. His boxing is decent. It seems like he also lacks a little bit of technique. Uh, he has a good left kick as well, and his 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 straight left hand is just is just not good you know i've seen uh some slow motion clips of, of it from his last fight versus uh willie g buren and it just looked ugly so the one thing about martinez is that he he makes a lot of mistakes on the ground he leaves some room for error he will uh you know put himself in some bad positions he'll uh, end up on bottom when he shouldn't but luckily he constantly scrambles for position he is uh always getting up to his feet if it's a possibility always threatening with submission and making some space with his opponent so if these two end up on the ground i i give the edge to martinez i think that he will uh, end up in top position in the scrambles and i think that he is actually a submission threat on the ground for lou on the feet i expect lou to be the better striker he uh definitely has the better boxing i think that he just has a little bit more polish striking all around and his movement and footwork is certainly better so this is a really close fight. These two are really evenly matched up. Uh, everything I've been saying so far has alluded to the fact that it is a 50-50 fight. And uh, with the betting line being plus 125 for one guy, I think there's a little bit of value on Martinez. And especially if you got Martinez where you opened at plus 205. Congratulations to anybody who got that line because a lot of money's come in on him so far. So 
with this being a, a close, you know, split decision type of fight, I'm gonna side with the uh, with Martinez because I think he's more likely to end up in top position uh, and, and win rounds when it counts. I think he has the better cardio and a little bit better of the IQ as well. So um, the pick is gonna be Martinez to win a 29-28 split decision. The next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Darren Elkins, who is 24-7, taking on Ryan Hall, who is 7-1. The opening betting line for this one was Ryan Hall, the minus 140 favorite to Darren Elkins, the plus 100 underdog. Right now, we are seeing Hall, minus 115, Elkins, minus 105, so... Line margins have tightened up. This is almost a pick 'em fight. Money has been coming in on both sides of this fight, and rightfully so because it is a very close fight. So the return of Ryan Hall in this fight, his last fight, he picked up that Imanari roll heel hook over BJ Penn. It was a beautiful technique, uh, in, in that he executed in that fight. But uh, you know Hall's style. He is a, uh, a jujitsu black belt. You know, world class jujitsu guy. He has transitioned over to MMA, but has really stuck to his jujitsu game. He is not really too interested in striking, and that results in a lot of his fights being a little boring, where he is uh, flopping to his back, pulling guard, trying to play the leg lock game. Uh, that's how it, the fight ended up versus Gray Maynard, who is a tough wrestler uh, sort of like Darren Elkins where Hall was throwing a lot of kicks and flopping to his back and Maynard just did not want to engage it was constantly moving away the entire time so Hall was trying to engage and he was landing kicks and Maynard was moving backwards and didn't want to engage so that's why Hall won the decision in that fight um, and I think that's how this fight will end up going as well. You know, Elkins is an incredibly tough guy. He can take an insane amount of damage and still come back and win, which he has done multiple times before versus Mursad Bektik and Michael Johnson, most notably. Uh, he, on the feet, he is not very technical. He tends to get lit up uh, with punches very often in his fights, but luckily for him, he's not facing a, a striker in this fight at all. I mean, I don't think Ryan Hall throws many punches at all in his fights. The only real uh, strikes he throws are leg kicks and high kicks because he's not worried about being taken down. But he could get taken down in this fight. And Darren Elkins, being that talented wrestler, being good in top position, he might be crazy enough to put Hall on his back and to try to win rounds in top uh, on top and neutralize the jiu-jitsu of Hall. But if Elkins does that, I think he's in for a long night. I think that Hall is just levels ahead of Elkins on the ground. Even though Elkins is a very great wrestler and can has good scrambles and you know out wrestled uh, uh, Dennis Bermudez when they fought uh, just about two years ago. Uh, Hall is just such a submission threat for you know the leg lock game that he plays. I just don't think that Elkins, even though he's probably been training for it for the past few months, I don't think he has any idea what he's in store for. Uh, Hall will grab a hold of your leg and he he will tear your uh, Achilles off before you even know that you're in a submission. That's how dangerous he is. So uh, I see this fight being very similar to the Maynard fight where um, Elkins is moving ba uh, backwards. Hall uh, Elkins is obviously going to try to knock him out with punches on the feet. And uh, Hall is going to be moving backwards, throwing kicks. Uh, uh, especially leg kicks is Elkins has struggled with leg kicks before 
and Elkins is very heavy on the feed. He plots forward in a very predictable way. So look for Hall to be pulling those Imanari rolls like he did last fight. Look for Hall to be playing the, the De La Hiva game or the open guard game, trying to get single leg X, trying to get uh, X guard, all different types of jujitsu positions to uh, eventually get that leg lock, which is really his bread and butter. So I'm picking Hall to win this fight. I don't think, I just, when I look at these guys, I look at their intelligence levels and their their career so far. So Hall has mostly com, uh, competed in jiu-jitsu, has uh, only one loss in MMA, and has taken very little damage throughout his MMA career. Meanwhile, Elkins has a very long MMA career and is notorious for taking damage. Just insane amount of punishment and blood and cuts and punches that he absorbs on a daily basis. Now... I just don't think that Elkins at this point in his career is is smart enough and nothing against the guy's, you know, personal intelligence. I'm talking about his fight IQ. I don't think he is able going to be able to a fight to avoid Hall's uh, strength, which is going to be the submission grappling. So uh, it's a possibility that Elkins ends up in top position, neutralizes the submission of Hall, and wins this fight via decision, possibly even getting a knockout on Hall. But I think Hall is too smart to avoid. There is going to be just too smart to avo- uh, and avoid that top position. He's not going to get stuck on his back. He's going to not accept bottom position. He's going to be attacking legs constantly. I just don't think that Hall is capable of being uh, put on his back and kept there because he's just so good off of it so I think Elkins is in for a long night we could be in for a a stalemate type of fight and the judges may give it to Elkins because he's from Sacramento he'll have the crowd behind him he you know might be landing some better strikes and Hall might be just really scared to engage and not not commit to anything because he wants to get the leg locks it's a very likely this fight ends up in a type of stalemate, but I'm going to actually pick Hall to to submit a Darren Elkins. I just don't think Elkins can avoid the, the leg lock game for too long, and eventually Hall will untangle him and tap him out with a leg lock. I'm going to go with a, a heel hook. So the pick is going to be Hall by submission. The next fight takes place in the women's bantamweight division. We have Juliana Pena, who is 8-3, taking on Nico Montano, who is 4-2. The opening betting line for this one was Pena, the minus 155 favorite, Montano plus 115. Right now we are seeing Pena minus 170, Montano plus 150. So both of these women coming off of long layoffs. Uh, Pena was at one point a very promising uh title challenger or contender in the bantamweight division but she had some injuries she had that loss to Shevchenko and most recently she had a baby and has not fought for about 30 months now Nico Montano came off the season of the ultimate fighter was in store um I will beat uh Roxanne Matafari and won the UFC flyweight title and then uh, had some injury problems eventually got matched up to face Shevchenko but uh, was unable to make weight and had to uh, vacate her title or was actually stripped of her title um, back at UFC 228 and has not fought since so we have Pena coming off a 30 month layoff and Montano coming off of a 20 month layoff and the biggest factor in this fight is Montano moving up to 135 pounds I mentioned that she did not make weight for her fight with Shevchenko and has been forced to move up and that's just going to be uh 
it's going to be bad for her because Pena is going to be a lot stronger and bigger than Montano. Juliana Pena is a girl who outgrappled Katzengano. Had a little bit of early uh, adversity versus Zingano, a close first round, but eventually Pena figured Zingano out and was getting top position and keeping Cat on her back for rounds two and three and won that fight. She had some nasty ground and pound. She had good takedowns. And she is, uh, you know, pretty hard to submit off of her back as well. The only girl who's been able to get her uh, has been Shevchenko with just a beautiful arm bar from guard off of her back that not very many women uh, will be able to pull off. Certainly not Nico Montano. Uh, no disrespect to her, but Montano, she's a really good fighter. I... Uh, I kind of thought she she wasn't much because she kind of had a, a bad reputation around the MMA uh, community. She, everyone thought she was ducking a fight with Shevchenko, and of course she pulled out of that fight with Shevchenko on on, on weigh-in day, let everybody down there, and has some has had some pretty crazy things that she said to the media over the past few years. So she's got a bad reputation for herself, but she's actually a very good fighter. She's got uh, good wrestling. Uh, you know her fight versus. Uh, Roxanne Martafari was just a great, great fight. Uh, she showed great five-round cardio in that fight. She has good wrestling. Um, she's got some decent striking as well. She's a southpaw, uh, has a decent left hand. And, she, and, you know, her fight against Montana De La Rosa, I think, is probably her best performance. She out-clinched De La Rosa in that fight, uh, got the takedown, avoided the submissions of De La Rosa, and really just smashed De La Rosa on the ground, put a put an absolute beat down her, on her. So Montana Tanya's got good wrestling, good top pressure, good striking, a very well-rounded fighter. I think that her she could be uh, you know, a, t- a possible title challenger for Shevchenko in the future, but she's got to get that weight figured out. She's got to get back down to her natural weight class and flyweight because she's just going to be taking on girls who are too big and strong for her at, at Bantamweight. Uh, we saw Shevchenko struggle at years for bantamweight against uh, you know fighters who weren't really on her level just because they had that little bit of size. We also saw her beat some fighters that were bigger than her, like Pena, um, with her technique. So it's a very close matchup. Montano certainly could win just by uh, you know being the more improved fighter. She's been more active has fought way more recently and she was on those win fighters so she's had i'd say four or five fights since pena has fought last but uh pena's strength is just crazy man she the way she was able to get up from side control versus shevchenko she was able to reverse position on zingano she's just a, a very talented fighter not not really much in the striking aspect of things if this fight stays in the feet honestly i think i would favor montagna but it's not going to Pena's going to pressure her she's going to get that takedown and this fight is destined to end up on the floor where i think the pena is just going to have a massive size and strength advantage that montagna isn't going to able going to be able to counter with technique so uh, unless pena has had a massive drop off in strength and cardio and grappling abilities since she's uh, had her baby and come off that long a uh, few years layoff um then i see pena dominating this fight honestly and uh it has been pro- uh, been mentioned that not many women have come off of having a, a baby and come back and looked at like a good fighter it's kind of a limited talent pool that we're dealing with but i think pena is, is capable of doing it at one point she was a very promising prospect and i think that she's going to be uh back to that form on saturday night so i expect her to get a 30 27 decision over nico montano the next fight takes place in the featherweight division we have andre feely who is 19 and 6 taking on shaman marais who is 11 and 3 
the opening betting line for this fight was Andre Feely minus 145, Shaman Marais plus 105. Right now we are seeing Marais minus 115, Feely minus 105. So a near pick em now. There is two-way action coming in on this fight, and rightfully so because this is a hell of a fight. I'm really looking forward to this fight. It's definitely my favorite fight on the card. And where the line opened at Andre Feely, I thought there was some value there. I really like Andre Feely in this spot. So when the money came in on Marais and pushed Feely to a plus 125 underdog, I was all over that uh, personally, um, so I've got a, I've got a 1.5 unit bet on Feely at plus 125, and I like him to win this matchup. And we're seeing that late money come back in on Feely because people are realizing it's a really close fight. I, I see this fight. Cl- um, playing out on the feet mostly most of these gentlemen are uh strikers although uh feely has great offensive wrestling and some pretty decent jujitsu as well marias has good takedown defense so they're both very well rounded but uh let's talk about what both gentlemen do well on the feet so we'll start with feely he's a very uh long reach has improved his boxing leaps and bounds in his past few fights uh his jab was absolute money versus miles jury he probably landed 50 70 jabs in that fight and it was a very strategic fight he he knew that uh miles jury jury was going to try to wrestle with him he knew jury was going to try to counter punch with him so feely just didn't throw many right hands he didn't overcommit to many shots and he really just stuck at distance at leg kicked a jury and hit jury with jabs and stayed at range and that's really how he won that fight uh, Feely was dropped at some point uh, in the second round with a spinning back fist, but he quickly recovered, and he he really came back in round three and won that fight uh, or won that round dominantly. So it was probably one one heading into the third, and Feely dug deep, came out and dominated round three. Uh, came on real strong, found his range, started picking it up a little bit. The one thing I will say about Feely is that he needs to throw more combinations. Like I said, that fight was a strategic type of fight where he wanted to stick to jabs but it kind of cost him at some point where he was only throwing single shots one at a time and not following it up and allowing um, Miles Jury to counter back on him and of course the problem throughout uh, Feely's career has been his chin he has been knocked out a few times and we saw that on display with that spinning back fist he got dropped last fight with a, a back fist and um that showed that his chin problems are still there. So now getting over to Shaman Marais, we are dealing with a, a former pro Muay Thai fighter. He's uh, got incredible stand-up. Uh, he's got real powerful boxing uh, power in his right hand. He's dropped multiple people with it, specifically Julio Arce. Uh, dropped him I think twice in round one of that fight he's real good in the clinch with that Muay Thai background throws good slicing elbows in the clinch his kicks are so fast man his his switch kick is is one of the best in the UFC I'm talking like Edson Barbosa fast so um, Marais is a wild man he, he he will trade in the pocket with you he will go toe for toe with you and his fight with Sadiq Youssef a few months ago in Philadelphia was an incredible fight one of the best fights I've got to witness in person live where uh, he was getting leg kicked in round one versus uh, Sadiq Youssef. 
um, and eventually started checking leg kicks and adjusting to that. He was getting hit with heavy leg kicks in, or early in that fight, but adjusted, and the leg kicks stopped. He started checking them, and Yusef didn't want any more leg kicks after he felt a few checks. So Marias uh, lost round one, but came back, found his range in round two, and was really on his way to winning round three and the fight, but he was dropped uh, around the, the one-minute mark uh, ending the round. So 14 minutes into the fight, Yusef finally touched the chin of Marais and uh, dropped him, uh, almost, almost finished him. Right? Really incredible that he didn't finish him, honestly. Uh, Marais got a little greedy throwing a step and elbow and got dropped with the right hand. So um, he lost round three of that fight. And a problem with Marais is round threes he, in his fight versus Arce, I believe he lost round three. His uh, fight against Matt Sales, he also dropped round three. And his one of his uh, losses also came to Zabit Magomed Sharapov uh, via Anaconda choke in round three. So it seems like Marias has a bit of a cardio issue where he has a bit of a drop off in round three. And I don't know if that's fair to say because he, he still has not looked totally gassed versus his opponents. He was actually winning round three versus Yusef before he was dropped. But it just seems like he can't close it out. He can't finish strong in round three. He gets a little reckless and it, he's paid for it a few times. So um, round three with Feely picking it up and winning round three dominantly last fight and Marias uh, letting that round three slip away that could be something to look at because I think these two are really evenly matched and we could be looking at a, a similar scenario to both of their last fights where it was 1-1 heading into the third round and they need to win that third round. Feely was able to do it and Marias wasn't. So I, I really got to look at that and think that that might, that might be a possibility to happen in this matchup. Um, so I'm going to side with Feely in this one. I think that uh, it'll be a really close fight on the feet. Uh, I see Feely using that same jab and leg kick that he did in the last fight. And I see, uh, Marias probably having some, uh, some problems with them. And, uh, I see that when Marias tries to explode with those powerful bursts of offense, I think that we might see some level changes from Feely. He has really good timing on his takedowns that he's been able to take down some really good grapplers with. So look for Feely to level change when Marias starts throwing power and with that slight edge on the ground that um, Feely should have, uh, definitely in the wrestling department. Uh, and um, with the cardio advantage that Philly has, I think this is a 50-50 type of fight, maybe even a slight lean towards Philly. I'd probably cat Philly at minus 170. So um, I'm, I got that bet on um, in on Philly. Congratulations to everybody who got that plus money with me, and I believe the Philly will win this fight 29-28. The next fight takes place in the light heavyweight division. We got Mike Rodriguez, who is 10-3, taking on John Allen, who is 13-5. The opening betting line for this one was Emrod, minus 335, Allen, plus 265. Right now, we are seeing Rodriguez, minus 410, Allen, plus 330. So, John Allen making his UFC debut in this one, coming in on short notice for this fight after John Volante was injured uh, very recently. So, uh, look for Allen to be uh, a little sloppy, honestly, even though his most recent fight was June 28th. That That is two weeks ago before before this card. So, he won that fight by knockout uh, in, in the second round, and... 
I imagine he spent the week after, uh, you know, celebrating, uh, drinking and eating and doing everything that he hasn't for the past couple weeks. And now he got that short notice call to come into the UFC. So you got to question where his cardio is going to be at. He might he might have been a little dinged up from that fight. He might have taken some time off. Uh and you know gotten out of fight mode and now all of a sudden he he got this short notice opportunity in the ufc obviously he took it um because it's the right move to do but who knows what type of shape john allen will be coming in here at so he did look good in that fight versus uh alexandra silva he won that fight via knockout and versus a dangerous striker he uh, rocked him with a left hook in that fight and uh, finished him up with some ground and pound and finished him uh, in round two. Uh, Allen has fought on the Tuesday Night Contender Series as well. Uh, in that fight, he uh, unfortunately was submitted with, a I think, a triangle or an arm bar versus Vincius Moreira. And uh, Moreira is, uh, is a very bad fighter. Um, he... Is terrible on the feet. Allen was lighting him up with boxing on the feet, digging to the body, lighting him up with punches to the uh, to, uh, to the face. But Marrero was still able to get the takedown. Um, he put Allen in some bad spots. He took his back. He went for arm bars, and uh, eventually uh, Marrero got the takedown in round two as well. And Allen just couldn't escape. Uh, he got to top position eventually after some some arm bar some tight arm bar attempts from Marrera, but was tapped out from top position with that triangle. So, um, Allen has had some trouble with the submissions in his in his uh, UFC career his MMA career so far. But uh, so has Rodriguez. Rodriguez uh, only lost in the UFC has come to Devin Clark, where he was out clinched and out wrestled in that fight. He was put on his back and just didn't really have an answer for Dev Dev Clark's wrestling in that one. So uh, both of these guys are, are, are strikers. Rodriguez is a powerful stri- southpaw striker. He's got real good explosive burst of alpha, uh, offense. He's got power in his uh, left hand. He has good flying knees, which is how he knocked out his opponent on the contender series getting into the UFC. Uh, his last fight against Adam Milstead, he dropped him with a left hand 30 seconds into the fight, was smashing him with ground, uh, elbows uh, on in the ground and in the clinch, and then uh, eventually started attacking that body with uh, teep kicks versus Milstead, and then finished Milstead with a straight left hand of the body followed by a rear knee. Just a beautiful combination that put Milstead out. So... I expect these two to uh, trade it out on the feet. Neither guy really likes to offensive wrestle, so I expect it all to be striking in this one. Allen should have the technical boxing and the defense edge, but Rodriguez should have the power and aggression advantage in this one. And that's why I'm going to be leaning with Rodriguez. I think that he just throws with a lot more power than Allen. Allen is kind of like a volume boxer who throws combinations while Rodriguez uh, likes to explode with uh, single shots and just try to knock you out. So I think at some point Rodriguez does touch the chin of Allen and knock him out. But where the betting line is at right now at minus 410 for Rodriguez, I think that that's very steep. And honestly, it might even be worth a value bet on Allen because Allen's got good boxing. He's tough. He can take a shot. And I'm sure he's coming in here, uh, you know, ready to fight on his short notice UFC debut. He's trying to make the most of it. And he's got a good matchup. He's not he's not facing a grappler who he struggled with. He's facing a striker. And I'm sure he's not scared one bit of Mike Rodriguez. He's going to come in here to throw down. So Allen does have a chance to win. Uh, he's not, a, a, you know, a total... Um, 
a total bust in this one. I think that there is a little bit of value on Allen at plus 330. So the pick is going to be Rodriguez, but where the line is at now, it's going to be dog or pass. The next fight takes place in the middleweight division, moving along to the main card in this event. We have Cesar Ferreira, who is 13-7, taking on Marvin Vittori, who is 12-3-1. The opening betting line for this one was Vittori, the minus-170 favorite, Mutanche, plus-130. Right now, we are seeing... Vittori minus 150, Matanche plus 130. So not much a- um, movement on this one. Uh, not much action in coming in on this fight at all. So starting things off with uh, Cesar Mutanche Ferreira. He's a mostly a jiu-jitsu guy, uh, jiu-jitsu black belt. And, but he actually has very good wrestling. He can blast uh, takedowns very well. He can string together takedowns uh, a few times. Uh, you know, maybe go one to two, possibly even three attempts in a row. But uh, he's mostly trying to catch you off guard, catch you uh, at good uh, level change times, and blast that double leg on you. Or he even has a good single leg as well. So... Ferreira's looking to get you to the ground, and he's looking to be heavy on top and try to uh, get that submission, which he's been able to do to, to a lot of his, his opponents as well. But unfortunately, a lot of his opponents have been able to get back to their feet. He's been able to uh, avoid the takedown as well, I've been able to knock him out on the feet. Ferreira has been uh, dropped, has been knocked out, has been outstruck to a decision. He's really struggled with the striking aspect of things. And in Ferreira's most recent fight was versus the, the junkyard dog Ian Heinish, where uh, he was really out grappled by Heinish uh, in, in that fight somehow, which Heinish came in on short notice as a big underdog versus Ferreira and Ferreira was you know really just uh, outmatched in that one he uh, he was dropped in round two of that fight he was uh put in some deep arm bar attempts in round one he was totally outworked in round three had his takedowns stuffed uh Heinrich got up from his takedowns and Ferreira was not able to keep top position, and Ferreira really needs top position to win fights. He uh, he needs to get you down, and he needs to keep you down. He's not the type of guy to get a submission in transition or in a wrestling scramble. He needs to wear on you with pressure, pass your guard, get in mount, get a arm triangle, take your back at a rear naked choke, something like that. He's not the type to snatch submissions. He's not the type to outstrike you. He's looking to take you down, wear you down with pressure, and tap you out. Now, Getting over to Vittori, um, we got a, he, he's pretty much like a southpaw. I'd say he's a bit of a, an anti-wrestler. Like that's a bit of in his style is, you know, just having good takedown defense and uh, outstriking people on the feet. He can pressure you and outstrike you uh, like he has done uh, to Vitor Miranda. He did that to uh, Omari Akhmedov in the later rounds of that fight. He was outstruck in uh, round one versus Akhmedov took a beating, a 10-8 beating in that round one, but was able to come back and wins round two and three for the draw in that fight. So Vittori can dig deep. He has uh, he has a little bit of cardio issues. He definitely slows down in round three, but 
he's still really hard to take down in round three. I mean, you saw that in the fight against Antonio Carlos Jr. Uh, he had good takedowns throughout that entire fight, especially even in round three. Even though uh, Carlos Jr. Uh, won round three, which is riding Vittori out, going for takedowns. Vittori was, was tough to take down, and he really just never accepted bottom for the entire 15 minutes. And that fight is very, very relevant because Ferreira and Carlos Jr. are really similar fighters. Um, I think that the the fight of, with Vittori and uh, Carlos Jr. is very similar to how this fight will go with just a little bit uh, of a change uh, for Vittori. And I think that Vittori will win this fight. I think that uh, Ferreira will probably get Vittori down to the mat with a takedown, but Vittori will bounce right back up to his feet. He is not going to accept bottom. He's not going to let Ferreira put him on his back and keep him there. And then once it gets back to the feet, I really favor Vittori to put the pressure on Ferreira, wear Ferreira down, just like Ian Hines did. He's going to be marching forward, outstriking Ferreira, stuffing takedowns, um, you know, getting back up to his feet if he does get taken down, reverse in position if he gets put on his back. You know, Vittori's got very strong hips. He's got good wrestling, good takedown defense, and I think that he will be able to avoid the top position of uh Ferreira in this one and I believe that he will win a decision I think Vittori will be in better shape I think that uh, he's the he's the much younger fighter he's uh, had 15 months to take off and improve his game I'm sure he's coming into the spot much improved while Ferreira coming off that loss where he was really outclassed in the grappling and striking the wrestling everything and he's getting older. He's getting up there in age. I, I think that this spot really favors Vittori. I think he's going to come back from this layoff and put on a, a very nice performance and get that 29-28 decision victory over Ferreira. The next fight takes place in the middleweight division. We have Carl Roberson, who is 7-2, taking on Wellington Terman, who is 15-2. The betting line, the opening betting line for this one was Roberson minus 155, Terman plus 115. Right now we are seeing Roberson minus 225, Terman plus 185. So another short notice replacement fight, Wellington Terman coming in here, replacing John Phillips in this spot. And Terman is a, a very well-rounded fighter. I've been, you know, impressed of what I've seen with him so far. He's a prospect coming out of Brazil, making his UFC debut in this one. Uh, he likes throwing a lot of uh, flashy techniques on the feet, you know, spinning back kicks and flying techniques and all different types of uh, crazy stuff. He doesn't throw too, with too much power, although he did uh, rock his uh, last opponent with a left hook and uh, take his back and get a rear naked choke. And, you know, it was a very nice performance from Terman in that one. His go-to takedown is getting that body lock and trying to get that inside trip takedown and he likes to do it against the cage so he gets you down to the ground and when you try to crawl back to your knees to get to your feet uh, against the cage, Terman likes taking your back and trying to choke you out. Um, although Terman does have most of his wins by, uh, by submission, uh, he's not very dominant on the ground. When he fought uh, Rodrigo Urso, uh, Urso was able to you know, just muscle his way uh, into top position and reverse the position on Terman a few times, um, which is you know, sometimes unavoidable. Sometimes uh, some, some juice-head uh, Brazilian guy is just going to be able to reverse position on you, and you're not going to be able to do anything about it. Um, but Terman just, even though he's well-rounded, it just doesn't seem like he really thrives in one area. It seems like he's got uh, 
decent striking, decent grappling, decent submissions, but not one area where he really shines in, especially one area where I think that he's better than Carl Roberson at. Roberson is a very fast, technical southpaw. He's got uh, good knees and elbows in the clinch. He throws real power on the feet. Uh, if you try to take him down, he'll hit you on the side of the head with some elbows from hell. He That's how he knocked out Ryan Spann on the Contender Series. He rocked Teixeira real bad with those elbows and when he fought him a few months ago. Almost had Teixeira out, but was somehow uh, ended up on bottom. Teixeira got mount, and Teixeira was able to arm triangle Carl Robertson. Um, but both of Carl Robertson's losses uh, in his uh, MMA career have come by way of arm triangle from Cesar Ferreira and Glover Teixeira. Now, those two guys are high-level jiu-jitsu black belts, and I do not think that Terman is on that level. So I don't think Roberson has to be too worried about the submission threat in this one. Uh, I just see Roberson being a little bit better than Terman everywhere. I think that uh, Roberson is very skilled on the ground, and we saw that the way he took down Darren Stewart, took his back, and got that rear naked choke in that fight. So I see this fight going on the feet. I see Roberson having a big edge on the feet. Uh, I think that uh, he'll have the, the, the technique edge, the power edge, and I think that Roberson has a good chance at knocking Terman out on the feet. If this fight ends up on the floor, it should be a little more competitive, but ultimately I think that uh, Roberson will be able to stay safe, avoid submission, get back to his feet. Um, you know, Maybe Terman can ride out some rounds in top control and win this fight on the scorecards. Um, but I really favor Robertson to get this one done. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Robertson by knockout in round two. The next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Josh Emmett, who is 14-2, taking on Mursad Bektik, who is 13-1. The opening betting line for this one was Bektik, the favorite, minus 185, Emmett, plus 145. Right now, we are seeing... Bektik minus 160, Emmett plus 140. So line margins tighten up. Two weight action coming in on this fight. Um, so starting things off with Emmett, we got a you know just a powerhouse of a human being. You know this guy, he looks very weird. He's got a very short, stocky frame, absolutely jacked, and he has got some power in his punches. And we saw that the way he knocked out Michael Johnson that last fight, just one punch, stiff as a board, KO'd. Uh, the, that's that power that Josh Emmett has. Now, the problem with Emmett is that he has a hard time landing that power shot. He doesn't really close distance too well. He has some trouble with, with uh, long, uh, rangey guys uh, like Michael Johnson. Rounds one and two, Johnson was uh, keeping him at range, outstriking him with long, straight punches, and was on his way to winning a decision. But Emmett made some necessary adjustments, started landing a little more on Johnson, and eventually uh, knocked out Johnson with an overhand right. He he was faking takedowns all fight. He was going for takedowns and throwing punches, and he threw a beautiful uh, faint jab, and he faked that takedown, and he blasted Johnson with an overhand right, just knocking him out stiff. So Emmett uh, has got massive power in his hands. He's, he rocked Jeremy Stevens with a punch, uh, wasn't able to finish him, and eventually got finished himself in round two of that fight. He knocked out Ricardo Lamas with the left hook. He's got power in both hands. He knocked out Lamas with the left hand. He lo- knocked out uh, Michael Johnson with the right hand, and both of those guys were stiff as a board. So it seems like he's got equal uh, bricks in both of his hands. Now getting over to Bektik, 
Uh, we just got ourselves a, a very well-rounded fighter in this one. Bektik likes winning fights by mixing up his striking, his clinching, his takedowns, his top position. He likes using it all. And that's kind of a new strategy at him, uh, out of him that we saw in the Lamas fight, where he was uh, would uh, strike with Lamas for a minute, then he would clinch with them, then he'd take Lamas down. And, he, you know, very impressive taking Lamas down, keeping Lamas on his back, avoiding the submission, the guillotine attempts of Lamas. Because Lamas is a great grappler with a great guillotine, so... So it's really dangerous offensive wrestling up uh, Lamas, but Bechtik did it and he he won the fight dominantly with it, even though somehow a, a judge gave that one the split decision. So um, Bechtik can swing a little wild on the feed. He can be a little uh, overzealous. He tried to finish in Darren Elkins and uh, blew his load uh, trying to finish him and eventually gassed out and was finished in round three in his only loss. And that's why Bechtik made those adjustments and was playing the fight so safe for Lamas, where he was kind of stalling at times, where the referee was giving him a lot of warnings uh, for uh, in, in, in uh, encouraging him to work against the cage and to advance the position. But Bechtik was just trying to stay safe, not get knocked out again, uh, conserve his gas tank, and he did so, and he won by decision. So look for Bechtik to get a little more comfortable and to start you know, getting getting his confidence back about, uh, about him ever since he suffered his first loss to Darren Elkins. Even though that fight was two years ago, I still think that uh, Bechtik is recovering. He did pick up that quick uh, knockout victory over Giodafi Pepe or with that uh, straight red hand of the body. And he did get that decision victory over Lamas. But I still don't think he's back to that same fighter that he was before uh, the Elkins loss. I still think he's playing it safe and really... Um, you know, getting his wits back about him. And he's going to have to do that here against Emmett because he knows how dangerous of an opponent Emmett is. Emmett just can knock you out at any time. He he was on his way to losing that fight 29-28. Uh, and even though there was uh, one minute left on the clock, Emmett still knocked Michael Johnson out cold. So uh, I see Bechtick's going to want to keep this fight in the clinch. He's going to look to try to take down Emmett. I don't think he's going to want to try to trade at range with Emmett because even though Bechtick is a good striker, I don't think he's good enough of a striker to avoid that power shot for the whole 15 minutes. I think that if this fight stays in the feet and they're trading punches the or they're striking back and forth the entire time, I think that it's inevitable that Emmett touches the chin of Bechtick at some point and possibly puts him out like he has his past opponents. Uh, so I see. I think the Bechtick will have trouble uh, clinching with Emmett because Emmett is just so strong. He can, you know, get under hooks and reverse position on you. Emmett's got a great wrestling base. He's low to the ground, got a great center of gravity. I think he's going to be hard to take down. So I, I don't see Bechtick having that success with the takedowns and the clinching like he's used to. And that will leave this fight to play out in the striking range where I think Emmett is just always, always dangerous. I don't think I know Emmett is always dangerous he proved that last fight and I don't see Bechtick having the footwork or the defense to completely avoid that knockout for the entire fight so at some point I think I think uh, Bechtick starts out fast and starts uh, winning the fight but eventually as the fight goes on I think that Josh or Emmett will touch the chin and put Bechtick out with the punch just like he did versus Michael Johnson last fight maybe I'm going off of some recency bias because that's how uh, Emmett won his last fight uh, maybe I'm falling in love with the pl plus 145 price tag next to Emmett's name but I'm picking Emmett to win this one by knockout and uh, I have a bet on him as well I'll, I'll uh, advise all, all my bets at the end of the uh once i'm done analyzing the main event 
Um, I'll tell you all the bets and the amounts, the prices, everything. So moving on to the co-main event of the evening, we have Uriah Faber, who is 34-10, taking on Ricky Simone, who is 15-1. The opening betting line for this one was Simone, the minus 195 favorite, to Faber, plus 155. Right now we are seeing Simone, minus 350 to Faber, plus 290. So the legend, the California kid, Uriah Faber, coming back for one last fight, despite him retiring two and a half years ago, and he is not getting an easy matchup in this one at all. So we'll start things off with Faber, just um, going off of his last fight, um, because that's the only fight I really refresh my memory of watching. Um, so he had the he has always had trouble with leg kicks, and even in that fight with Brad Pickett, he was getting hit with a few leg kicks. So um, look for Simone to attack those in this fight because he has good leg kicks of his own. Um, Faber's grappling looked really on point in, the, in that fight with Brad Pickett. He was hitting offensive takedowns. He was uh, looking good in the scrambles. Uh, he wasn't keeping Pickett on his back. Pickett was scrambling back to his feet, but Faber was in control the entire time. He was never really in a compromising position on the ground. He looked real smooth on the ground with his back takes, his... Uh, getting mount his offensive takedowns everything looked really good and he actually at one point dropped uh brad pickle with the left hook as well his boxing looks solid just an all-around probably one of the best performances that faber had in years and it was in his last fight uh in that that retirement fight the last time he fought in sacramento so um you know he's always had a great guillotine. He's always been a great pressure fighter. But who knows what what his athletic abilities will be like coming in here off of this two and a half year layoff. He was training for that grappling match with Nicky Ryan lately, so I'm sure he'll be in shape. I'm sure that he will be well prepared for this fight. But I just think that he is uh, has the cards stacked against him here with uh, this opponent, Ricky Simone. So. Simone is just a, a, a relentless wrestler uh, where he has great offensive wrestling and defensive wrestling. The fight with Marab stands out as, uh, you know, him never accepting bottom, him being hard to take down, him constantly Grammy rolling and uh, trying to get back to his feet. And he did so successfully, and eventually he came on strong in round three and had that, that infamous choke uh versus Marab where he won that fight via technical uh, technical submission or something like that but he might have lost that fight if it went to the scorecards because I believe Marab had won rounds one and two of that fight and really that that was Marab just grabbing a hold of Simone and uh, Simone not being able to break the body lock uh, and just not being able to get uh, out of Marab's grips and even though Marab wasn't having much success with the, with the takedowns he was still uh, you know controlling where the fight took place so that's why he won rounds one and two of that fight but Simone has just looked better and better in his most recent fights against Montel Jackson. He dominated uh, that fight. Uh, Jackson came in a really uh, highly touted prospect, had a huge long reach, uh, was great striking, good submissions, as we since so learned uh, him picking up a, a few nice victories. But Simone just took him down relentlessly and uh, really showcased his well-rounded game in that one. In the Hani Yaya fight, he sprawled and brawled just magnificent. He, he stuffed all of Yaya's takedowns. He was so much faster than Yaya. He avoided.
avoided the the grappling and the submissions of Yaya easily. He he took down Yaya every time he even came close to attempting it. He would duck his shoulder and Yaya would end up on his back. And Simone really showed his his good uh, striking in that fight as well. He was outboxing Yaya. He did get caught with a few punches, maybe rocked a few times by Yaya as well. So he's got a little bit of a hole in his boxing defense and maybe his chin. And that's really where, where Faber could possibly catch him here. Faber could try to rock uh, Simone with a punch because if Faber tries to offensively wrestle, Simone will stuff his shots. He, he will scramble to top position. He'll get it back to striking range. If Simone tries to offensive wrestle, I think that he will get Faber down and he will control the, where the fight takes place. He will be in top position the entire time. So really where the fight is most even will be in the striking where Faber has a chance uh, at landing a power punch and catching the chin of Simone, but I think that the speed is just going to be too much for Faber. I see Simone being leaps and bounds ahead of Faber in the speed. Uh, we saw that in the last fight against Yaya. He was just so much quicker. The hand speed, the takedown defense, the scrambles, just just had Yaya beat in speed by by miles. So I see that being the the uh, deciding factor here. I think Simone is more athletic. He is faster. He has been more active, has the better wrestling. At this point in his career, might even have the better boxing because we haven't seen Faber in so long. So uh, I got in a big bet on Ricky Simone while he was minus 190. There is value all over him when he was there. But where it's at now, minus 350, it's a little bit wide. I think that the widest I would cap Simone is minus 300 with Fabria plus 250. So if you want to take a value bet on Fabria plus 290, go ahead and do so. It'll be fun to cheer for the California kid. And it'll be fun to see him back in the octagon. Wish the UFC would have given him a little easier of a matchup. Maybe see him get a win in his home country or his home uh, town of Sacramento. But honestly, I think what the UFC is doing is they heard Faber was coming back for a fight. They know Simone is an incredible prospect, so they want to get uh, Simone a good win on his record. And this is a good way of doing so. It's they get an exposure of uh, getting a win over Faber. So I'm gonna pick uh, Simone to win a decision, 30-27 in dominating fashion. Now, moving along to the main event of the evening in the women's bantamweight division, we have Aspen Ladd, who is undefeated at 8-0, taking on Jermaine Duraname, who is 8-3. The opening betting line of this one was Ladd minus 130, Duraname minus 110. Right now, we are seeing Ladd minus 170, Duraname plus 150. So, much more action coming in on Aspen Ladd's way. And in this one, we got ourselves striker versus grappler. Um, Lad is the, the the grappler in this one. She's got uh, the, the uh, good takedowns, good top control, good ground and pound, back takes, uh, good pressure on top. Her ground and pound is really good. She's finished a few of her opponents with it, like Lena Landsberg and uh, Tanya Evinger in the UFC so far. Um, Lad's striking is not very good. She, her defense is almost non-existent. She keeps her head on the center line the entire time. And she kind of gets lit up with punches, and what she did against uh, Sajar Eubanks. Uh, and Ladd also struggles in the clinch. She had a very competitive clinch battle with Lena Landsberg, where she was eating a lot of knees to the stomach and was not able to get uh, her takedowns going in rounds one versus Landsberg. Now, she eventually did get the double leg takedown in round two and smashed Landsberg to get the, the ground and pound finish. But she struggled in the clinch versus Landsberg. 
She also struggled with the boxing of Sajara Eubank in their most recent fight. She was lit up with punches at the end of round one. In round three, she ate something like 54, uh, I think, uh, Sajara landed 54 punches, uh, and, but Ladd landed 40 punches of her own too. So it was a really high output back and forth round three. I thought Sajara won round three. I thought Sajara round one, round one. I thought Ladd won round two, 10-8. So I scored the fight as a draw, but the judges disagreed and they scored it to Ladd as, as anyway. So Ladd on the feet, her, her defense is bad. Her footwork is bad. Um, she doesn't really move her head. She's constantly throwing out offensive punches, but her defense, she's not just thinking much about. So, getting over to Durana May, she's got she's a great kickboxer. She's got good straight punches. She's strong in the clinch, good knees in the clinch, uh, good head kicks as well. You know, her striking is is just magnificent, and her takedown defense is also really good. Her past three opponents have tried to take her down twenty two times, and twenty two times they have failed. Now they are not the most high level grapplers in being. Uh, Raquel Pennington, who went 0 for 8. Uh, Holly Holm also attempted a bunch of takedowns on her. And then a woman by the name of uh, Anna L. Elmrose, who I don't even know, uh, also tried to take her down but was unsuccessful. So Duraname, uh st- started her career as a kickboxer, and her kickboxing is really her bread and butter, but she has really worked hard on her takedown defense, and it shows that 22 of 22 of her re- most recent takedown attempts have been stuffed. So with that statistic in mind and with the 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 way that I see the lads striking, I really favor Jermaine Durandame in this matchup. I think that on the feet, Jermaine's going to be lighting lad up with punches on the feet. And a very interesting um, note that I wrote down about Jermaine is that in her fight against Raquel Pennington, she adopted a very boxing-centric stance where she was uh, her legs were wide, she was low to the ground, and she was throwing all punches for the first round because she knew Raquel's takedown attempts were coming. I expect her to do the same versus Aspen Ladd. She's going to be low to the ground and only throwing punches, and she should be good. She should be able to outbox Aspen Ladd easily. I think she's just leaps and bounds ahead of Aspen Ladd. We saw Aspen Ladd's sloppy boxing with no defense like two or three months ago. There's no way that she improved that striking enough to compete with Jermaine Duraname in that amount of time. So on the feet, I see Jermaine lighten uh, Ladd up with punches early, drawing the takedown attempt out of Ladd. And I think uh, Jermaine will, will stuff the takedowns early. I think that she will uh, dominate the clinch versus Ladd, land in knees and elbows. And I think that she will eventually just outstrike Ladd uh, for as long as the fight goes. It could go to the decision. I could even see Jermaine Duranaman getting a stoppage victory at some point from just the accumulated damage. Now, Ladd certainly does have a path to victory in this fight. She's minus 170 for a reason because her takedowns are powerful. Her top position is powerful. Her ground and pound is powerful. She's a very talented ground fighter, but... She's going against one of the women with the best takedown defense in the division. She's also going against one of the women with a great clinch, great kickboxing. And I think Ladd is just in for a little too much too soon in this one. She's 3-0 in the UFC with victories over Landsberg, Evinger, and Eubanks. But Jermaine Durandame has been has been fighting MMA for, for so, so much longer than her. And she's been kickboxing for even longer. You know, Jermaine Durandame's pro fighting career has been going back probably 15 20 years while aspen lad is only 24 years old only making her her 
amateur debut back in 2013. So a massive experience advantage for Duraname. I think Duraname comes out here and uh, stuffs the early takedowns of Aspen Ladd and just proceeds to outstrike Ladd on the feet, out out clincher, and do some significant damage on the feet. I I'm uh, I could see Duraname. Uh, Duraname stopping her. Uh, I think that's the most likely outcome. I'm going to go with uh, Jermaine Duraname by third round TKO. I'm not totally counting Aspen Ladd out. I think that if she gets Duraname down in round one, she's a chance at uh, winning the fight. She could get her down, uh, maybe knock her out with ground and pound, maybe submit her, maybe win three rounds with top position. But with uh, the way that. Um, Lad's cardio looked versus Sajara. She she looked decent in round three. It looks like she had a lot left in the tank, but she wasn't grappling. She really was was just primarily boxing in round three versus Sajara Eubanks, and she's not going to be able to stand and trade with with Jermaine Duranamade. Duranamade is just going to light her up at boxing range. So, um, the one thing that Duranamade did in that Pennington fight is once she once she um, stuffed a few takedowns and once she started to outbox Pennington, then she started adding the kicks in. She was just making sure that she was safe first, wasn't going to get taken down off of any kicks. And then as the fight went on, that's when Jermaine Duraname started throwing leg kicks, started hitting her high kicks and really finding her range. So the longer this fight goes, the more I favor Duraname. I think on the scorecards, Duraname has the five-round experience. She's I got to favor her if the fight goes to the decision. And... The really the only path I see for Lad is getting that takedown in round one, getting doing some damage, getting uh, Duraname tired, and uh, tired enough to not be able to stuff the takedowns in rounds two and three. Maybe she, maybe Lad will be able to finish her in rounds one, two, or three. Maybe she'll be able to win the uh, the rounds and win it on the scorecards. I just don't see it, man. I I'm I'm loving Jermaine Duraname's price at plus one fifty, and I'm picking her to win this fight by third round TKO. Now that's going to do it for the 12th fight UFC Sacramento card. So now let's get down to um, all of the bets I have. I did tweet them out on my Twitter account earlier. You can follow me at UFO dot underscore UFC. That is UFO underscore UFC. And you can find all, all my thoughts on there. So starting things off, we got... Uh, Brianna Van Buren, 1.7 units at a price of minus 112. Uh, we got one unit on Jonathan Martinez at plus 128. Two units on Ryan Hall at minus 106. 1.7 units on Juliana Pena at minus 164. 1.5 units on Andre Feely at plus 125. One unit on Josh Emmett at plus 145. 3.3 units on Ricky Simone at minus 190, one unit on Jermaine Duranamay's opener at minus 110, and one unit on Jermaine Duranamay as the plus 150 underdog. So I got myself one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight fighters that I have bets on their money line. Uh, it should be a hell of a card. I'm really expecting some good results for this one. It should be some real close matchups. Uh, hope you got some valuable information and advice from the podcast. Maybe we got some betting uh, tips as well. And uh, we will see you all next week. Everybody enjoy the card and uh, have a good weekend. Peace.